Well hello and welcome to the Mariner's Library with me Chris Stanmore Major and in this episode we're continuing the book The Search for Captain Slocum by Walter Magnus Teller. This is the 10th part of the reading and we're on chapter 13. And if you haven't already, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner to help support the podcast or you can check out the Mariner podcast with all things sailing and seamanship each week or of course the Mariner YouTube channel where you can see gear reviews, how-to videos and me engaged in expeditions and projects all over the world. Now on with the story. 13. No one can know the pleasure of sailing free over the great oceans save those who have had the experience. On the evening of the 9th of October, coming down from Newcastle, Slocum sailed into Sydney Harbour, one of the most beautiful in the world, and into the welcoming arms of the Harbour Police. I came to in a snug cove, he wrote later in Sailing Alone, the Sydney Harbour Police boat giving me a pluck into Anchorage while they gathered data from an old scrapbook of mine. Nothing escapes the vigilance of the New South Wales Police. Some said they came to arrest me, and, well, let it go at that. Actually, however, Slocum did not let it go at that, even though he was not well. Coming down from Newcastle, he had been struck on the head by a heaving line thrown by a too helpful hand. By the time he reached Sydney, he was in considerable pain and anxious to see a doctor, so he told the seemingly ever-present reporter. In Sydney, Slocum promptly took the offensive. He went after Slater. The changes time had wrought in their lives since the two men had met appeared greater than they really were. Slocum was poor and alone now, yet he still sailed the seas, still was master, owner and entrepreneur. Slater was secure in a government job, but he still worked for wages and, in fact, had drifted lower in the scale of command and prestige. The captain brought up Slater in Water Police Court to have him bound over to keep the peace. He told the magistrate, Mr G.W.F. Addison, that he did so to preserve his life and person, that he had known the defendant some time and that he believed him to be a man who might carry out a threat. The captain said that on the afternoon of the 7th, at the Queen's statue, haranguing a crowd, Slater had used these words, This Captain Joshua Slocum, God help him when we meet, I'll not be responsible for my actions. This man you are making an angel of, I'll make an angel of him when I get hold of him. The hearing continued with Slater cross-examining Slocum. Slater who gave you the information? Mr. Addison, don't answer that question. Slater, will you swear that this action has not been taken out of malice? Mr. Addison, what is the use of asking such a question? The complainant has already said that he wants protection from certain threats you are alleged to have made. Slater, well, I don't know the law. Mr. Addison, well, you ought to. Were you not a policeman? Slater, you have been here for ten days, and have I done you any harm? Mr. Addison, what's the use of asking such a question? Slater, is this not the first time you have seen me for about 13 years? Captain Slocum, I have not seen you for about that time. Slater, are you afraid of me? Captain Slocum, well, you are a most excitable man, and from the language you have used, you might possibly do me an injury. I certainly am, to a certain extent, afraid of you. Slater, well, you ought to be at least morally afraid of me. George Walker, Clark, said he heard the words set forth in the information used by the defendant at the Queen's statue on the afternoon of the 7th. Slater, I did not speak at the statue on that day. 
Detective Rocher said that he heard the defendant use the following when addressing a crowd at the general post office. Captain Slocum is a coward. He daren't meet me face to face, but I will force him to meet me. Slater then made a statement denying that he had used the words of which he was accused. When the hearing was over, the magistrate told Slater to keep the peace for six months. As security for fulfilling that obligation, he was required to put up £80. But the matter did not end there. Slater's next move was to make a sworn statement denying the old affidavit made in New York. And in spite of the decision in the Water Police Court, he went on addressing public meetings. Feeling is running very high and the city promises to be divided into sections over this alleged ill-treatment of 13 years ago, the Daily Telegraph said. Slater was speaking in language which not only showed an almost frenzied earnestness, but which also suggested a lively contempt for the libel law. Slater expressed the desire to meet Captain Slocum on the public platform. He promised that he would shortly procure chains and shackles and exhibit himself, as he says he was bound, on the northern light. Finally, with the spray anchored in a quiet cove of the harbour and Slocum disposed to stay for a peaceful month, he was interviewed again. Again, the Daily Telegraph reported the blow on the head, followed by a violent headache. Again, asked about Slater's charges, the captain said he was very much disgusted that any credence should be placed in the statement made. He hinted that there was some sinister and hidden purpose in the statements, but no amount of pressing would induce him to be more explicit. He, however, showed our representative further writings from newspapers, exonerating him from all blame in the affair. My whole life, he said, is open to inquiry, and I do not think anyone can prove a dishonourable action against me. I, however, he continued, hardly like accepting the hospitality of the Sydney people after this attempt of Slater's to blacken my character. If I was guilty of what he accuses me, I would be ashamed to land in your city. I will later expose the falsity of the accusations and lay bare the motives of the accuser. Captain Slocum was looking fairly well, though a bit haggard. One can believe that Slater was cruelly confined and also that he was a neurotic who overstated his case. As far as Slocum was concerned, in his certainty of rightness and of Slater's wrongness, he remained as aggressive in 1896 as he had been in 1883. He had that tendency to positiveness which sailing has always engendered in those who come under its spell. But like any topic of the hour, the Slocum-Slater argument ran its course. Only a few days later, on the 12th of October, there were cheerful headlines. Reception of Captain Slocum and the spray towed up the harbour. Congratulatory address. A reception committee had chartered the steamer Minerva and with about 130 people aboard had set out from Circular Quay, crossed Sydney Harbour and steamed to the cove called North Harbour where the spray lay at anchor. Captain was on deck, aft, and in response to the cheering on board, dipped his flag. In fact, he was becoming a pretty indefatigable flag dipper. Some of the Walker family, who had come out with the party, went aboard the spray. When they returned, the formal part of the proceedings took place. Slocum was brought on board the Minerva and enthusiastically cheered. A Mr. F. B. Evans spoke. He said that he wished, on behalf of those who had assembled there, 
to extend to Captain Slocum a hearty and cordial welcome. He thought that they were entitled to greet Captain Slocum in this manner as a yachtsman and as an intrepid navigator who had achieved the feat of travelling round the world alone. Applause. They had heard different things about Captain Slocum, but they were only there to welcome him as a daring man who had travelled over all seas without even anyone to stand to the main sheet. More applause. A telescope and a badge were presented to the captain. He replied with a few words to express his thanks for the reception that had been accorded him. He thought he should be able to satisfy every gentleman who up to the present had only heard of the man at the tail of the cart. Those who were present, he felt believed in him, their presence implied it. That endorsement was pleasing, and he wanted no other at present. He would stand a little while quietly, but there were some other things going on which he could not speak about just now. They would, however, hear from him again when he would speak to some purpose. It was the God of justice that had sent him to Australia. He thanked them heartily for the generous way in which they had received him. More applause. The Johnstone's Bay Sailing Club had specially chartered the Balmain steamer Lady Manning to follow some races which took place on that day. At the termination of the races, she steamed down to Bradley's to enable her passengers to have a look at the spray. As she lay a short distance away, some of the reception committee appealed to some of the crowds which covered her in every part to give Captain Slocum a cheer. But there was a profound silence on the steamer. Eventually, one of the committee standing on the bridge of the Minerva shouted, Now then, Balmain people, three cheers for Captain Slocum. This forcible appeal was answered by some hostile display, although some of the Lady Manning passengers waved their hats. Another appeal only produced additional boo-hooing, and although the receptionists on the Minerva lustily cheered at the same time, they were not of sufficient strength to outweigh the hostile demonstration. Long before the allotted month was out, the Slater matter seems to have been forgotten. Slocum was, as usual, making friends and accepting and declining invitations. Manly, November the 11th, 96. The Spray, Frank J. Donovan Esquire. Dear Sir, I was not able to avail myself of the honour to attend the Balmain annual regatta Prince of Wales' birthday. The friend who I had engaged to care for the spray could not come, and circumstances were such that I could not bring the beloved old craft along. I regret very much at having missed so much. Thanking you, sir, for your courtesy, I am truly yours, signed Josh Slocum. The beloved old craft could not go to the party, but then neither would Slocum leave her at home alone. Almost everywhere he sailed, Slocum was offered friendship and usually intangible form. In Sydney, he told a reporter that the rig of the spray was laughed at. I left Boston rigged as a sloop, he explained, but when off Cape Horn my sloop sails were blown away and I had to rig her as best I could, he needed new sails, and no sooner did he make his wants known than a new suit of sails was delivered to the cabin door the gift of Mark Foy, Australian department store founder and yacht club commodore. Slocum delighted, bent on the new canvas, but at the same time he did not jettison the old. He was too canny and thrifty for that. Indeed, he may already have had in mind the ingenious use to which he would later put it. Travelling alone, he was asked in Sydney the question he was asked in all other places. He answered, 
Though I do not feel oppressively lonely on my solitary voyage, I am always glad to get to port. I am, paradoxically as it may seem, really a sociable man. It was, however, an evasive answer, sounding more sociable than it really was. Slocum's kind of talk achieved sociability, and yet it told very little. No one who knew the captain, including his children, has claimed to have known him well. It is clear that despite a friendly loquaciousness, nobody knew what went on inside him, nor did he know himself. I'm really a modest man and feel quite frightened of a demonstration, he also told them in Sydney. Again, it would seem that he was concealing the greater part of the truth. The effort he was making at control and reserve was in conflict with an almost exhibitionistic need to display himself and be noted. Well, that's all for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. The next instalment will be available in the Mariner's Library shortly. And remember, of course, you've got all the content over on YouTube and the Mariner podcast and, of course, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. But for now, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope that you're safe and sound. And I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.